Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. We're no, I'm I'm Charlie. I was gonna say we're Charlie, we're Charlie, <laughs> and we're Hannah, and we're two twenty-something to be reading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're talking about chapters six and seven. Pretty sure it's six and seven. Yep, six and seven of Deathly Hallows. So grab a glass of your personal favourite alcoholic beverage and join us on this drunken reminiscent journey. Touch to a laptop. Tuning in, Hannah just claims she's never used like a touchpad before, like on a laptop. And I'm like, I've well, never seen one separate from a laptop. This is Charlie's mouse. It works the same. I've never seen one before. It's great. I love it. Ooh, it's pretty cool. Well, I love it because you can do. Sorry, Apple advert now because they really need the help with their. Yeah, marketing. they do. But you can do like all the like typical gestures uh, and stuff. I'm not gonna lie to you. I've never bothered to learn Apple gestures for my work laptops ever. So, oh, they're good. Once you learn them, and they're like really easy as well. Yeah, I've never bothered. It sorry. also it makes you feel like you're Iron Man. Like you know in the films, you know when he's got all the tablets and he's doing all this. <laughs> but it's literally it's like that on the thing. You're like, no, I literally just learn click and that's it. Welcome to couple. I I've not drunk my drink yet. Oh, sorry, I've been drinking mine. I didn't even try it downstairs. Oh, that's good. Good. That's good. Hi. Hi. How I'm are you? still uh, slightly ill, despite the fact that the last episode we recorded a month ago, I was ill. Also, because I just proof listened to that episode, well, proof watched that episode, and literally when I clicked play, I was like, I look awful. Aww, I was like, why do I don't. look this bad? And then like two minutes in, I'm like, so I'm sick, and I'm like, that's why. Got it. But yeah, somehow I'm still sick. Um, how are you? I'm good. I came straight from the office today, so I've got um, corporate trousers. Hold on, let me whip my corporate trousers out. So I've had to undo them at the waist so I can be comfortable to record this and drink alcohol. Valid. But yeah, I had to come straight from the office today. So I um, have jogging bottoms and buffy hoodie. It's very nice. Uh, yeah, Charlie got a... Oh, but underneath, I'm... Oh, no, I'm not. I thought I was wearing a goblet of wine top, but Aww. I'm not. I um, lied. Yeah, I got here and Charlie got a play-by-play of the current hot desking drama in my office. I love it. Because I like to keep her updated on corporate gossip. I love it. I um, live for it. Yeah. Apart from that, I'm good. Enjoying January. It's nicely slower than December, which almost was the death of me. That's all I have to say for myself. Yeah. My birthday's a week tomorrow. It is. And it feels weird because we just celebrated my birthday. Yeah, I hosted me and Charlie's 
other best friend Elle hosted a surprise birthday for me and we made her cry which is all you want when hosting a surprise birthday thing yeah Turns out I'm really fucking easy to surprise. Everyone's no, like, she isn't actually. She's okay. easy in the moments of surprise. She's I'm gullible. Possible while organizing it. I'm very difficult in that I was sick, so constantly threatening to cancel. At one point, I asked if I could host. Yeah, she basically was like, I know you're having a dinner party, but do you mind if I host it? Well, because no. you've hosted recently and I've got recipes I want to try out. And I was like, <laughs> Well, no, because no. you'd just basically been like, like in December, she'd be like, oh, like, yeah, I'll do a movie night, whatever. And then it got like a week to it. And I was like, oh, I really like, I've got some recipes I want to try. I was like, I'll just see if she's like started to plan like the like movie night or whatever. And then you were like, oh, yeah, actually, like I'm going to do a dinner party. I'm going to cook something. So I was like, oh, OK. Like, no, well, she- no, what you actually said is what are you cooking? And I said food because i no, couldn't no, no, be but bothered that was to afterwards. lie <laughs> that was afterwards but originally only when i asked was when you were like oh we'll do a movie night because i didn't know if you just like that had to change because i realized you'd turn up in sweatpants oh, to a movie night I so i had to ch- find a way to subtly change it from a movie night to dinner when i originally put movie night Elle was like perfect and i was like oh, fucked up here she's gonna turn up in sweatpants <laughs> i mean i would have been fine turning up at my own birthday party in sweatpants to be honest but yeah, no, it, it was very lovely. I literally did not suspect at all. Everyone was like, did, did you expect? I was like, literally not She didn't a expect single... it when she walked in the door. She looked at the room that had balloons and a banner up in it and said, I didn't realise other people were coming for well, dinner. Because I walked in and it was supposed to be just me, Hannah, Neil, Ellen, Aiden. And I walked in and just immediately saw Nikita and Ken. And I was like, I didn't know they were... Go- I thought I'd like missed a message or something. And Johnny's just also standing there like... Oh, no, because he... I couldn't see him from <laughs> where invisible, I was. of course. <laughs> no, he was like round the corner. So I literally glanced at them and just assumed that I had missed a message <laughs> saying, oh, I've also invited Nikita and Ken. So I was just really pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, like, I didn't know you guys were coming. And then Hannah just forcibly shoved me into the room that was then just full of balloons and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it. it I'm it dumb. Went, it went well. It, it went was very well. lovely. It was so sweet of them. Uh, we force her to open presents in front of people, which Aww. everybody hates. So it's always fun to do to people. It's the worst. Like I got lovely presents. No, it's the I worst. I agree. It's the like, worst. And it's bad enough when it's like one on one. Yeah. But like an entire room is like, please stop looking. I once in an entire room situation, one of my friends was bitching about a Christmas present she'd gotten from her mother-in-law, which was like, bath stuff now for context she was bitching about that kind of like cheap poundland level bath stuff that you get but then the next present i unwrapped was much nicer bath stuff from someone else in the room and i was like i don't know how to react <laughs> like the thing is it was this was like poundland yeah. bath stuff that you buy that no one's ever going to use and lush but it was the the, the situation yeah. was horribly awkward yeah. that's the thing so i've always I- ironically i've never been able to find one since i've wanted to do this yeah i've i've meant to but i can never actually find it now i want to get one of those dirt cheap like shitty bath selection things to give to amy one birthday or christmas because i'm like this is oh what a staple part of girlhood yes and she's missed out on that so i'm like you but she probably to... has experienced the um links africa gift box yep yep yep, 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 yep. <laughs> but yeah i feel like I'm like, this is the like gender affirmation yeah. 
I like that. that. I love that idea. But I've ironically never been able to actually find one. You gotta go in Poundland at Christmas. Yeah, I went in Poundland the other day. Oh yeah, shock my fucking life. Nothing's a quid anymore. Nothing's a quid. Outrageous. I think that's false advertising. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Not even like crisps. Like sharing bags of crisps for one pound thirty. And I get it because of inflation. But all I'm saying is they maybe should have thought ahead when naming the shop. Yep. Anyway, anyway. that's how we are. Let's do some other top of the or- episode things. A lizard size thank you to Liz. A robust size thank you to Robin. A Anglo-Saxon size thank you to Andre. A very ridiculously tidy size thank you to Jess is a mess. And a rat size thank you to RLW. Wow. Wow. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. We have some responses uh, to a question we asked last episode, which was what body part would you eat first? (laughs) I forget why this came up in the episode. Uh, it was something you said something about is I brought up a show where someone ate an ear. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, ears, George lost an ear. Yes. And we're saying don't eat that. Anyway, someone whose <laughs> username we can't pronounce says blood equals good soup. Elspeth says, I feel like the heel of the hand, particularly the thumb joint, would be crispy and juicy like a chicken drumstick, maybe. I see I, yeah. what you're saying by the shape, yeah. Mm. But I can only imagine it would be tough because our hands are used so much. Maybe. Mm. You could probably like slow cook it though and then make it nice and like tender. Uh, Hannah, not that Hannah, another Hannah says ass, of course. Of course. And Brianna says, I've heard you can chomp a finger like chomping a carrot. I have also heard this. Like, this was one of these things that was told to me in school. And I wish I'd never found out this information. I don't even know if it's true. But whenever I think of it, it makes me feel icky. No, I want to do it. I just really... But apparently it's the human, like, mentality. It is as easy as doing it as you would chop through a carrot. It just makes me want to do it. I want to... See, it makes me want to leave the planet. So, yeah. Do you want to read the review? Of course. This review comes from Anna. I don't know why I said that like a robot. This review comes from Anna and it's called Greetings from Czechia. Girls, you are my first English podcast that I am following. Your show was recommended to me in another Czech HP podcast. Oh, thank you. Nice. Which I stopped listening after discovering you. Sorry. Sorry. Go back and listen. (laughs) Go back and listen to them. We can't. Any Czech people go find that podcast. Yes. Currently, I am listening to the first chapters of you discussing the book Goblet of Fire. Remember you giving us tips of what to do in London? I heard your tips just the night before I went there. Came in so handy. I am just about to hit the cross keys. Update us with what you thought. Yeah, I hope you had a good time. That was closed for like a year and it was so sad. Yeah. Um, I've not been in ages. I haven't been actually since... No, I've been once since it reopened. It looks exactly the same. I have no idea what they were doing in there. No clue. (laughs) I think it might have been actual structural work. Like the ceiling might not have been okay. (laughs) P.S. In Czechia, only tourists drink absinthe. If you ever return to Prague, tell me. I will guide you through and show you what Czechs drink in bars. P.P.S. Are you still reading all the reviews? Not all, but most. Not reading them out. We read them. Oh yeah, we read them all. We just don't read them all out thanks to the person who doesn't realize this podcast is recorded chronologically (laughs) yes uh we got a review of someone calling (laughs) us hypocrites because we like have a go at jk rowling for being a turf but in an episode um where we reviewed the first fantastic beast film which was 
How many years ago? I had a go at us for praising Ezra Miller. And they were like, did you not know they did this? And I was like, not at the time, because I didn't own a time machine. Yeah. (laughs) Funnily enough, we can't actually time travel and like find out every celebrity that's problematic before the general public. And also we have lives, so we're definitely not going back and editing. Anything. And I don't believe in past censorship because no, it encourages people to not feel... No, but I mean, we could edit feel... in a disclaimer. We could edit in no, a disclaimer. use your fucking brain and look when the episode came out. <laughs> uh, but yes, we do read all the reviews and then we choose the best ones to read out. So well done for being chosen. Shall we get into the chapter? We probably should. Chapter six is called something. It's called The Ghoul in Pyjamas, but I'm glad you're... Okay, thank you. What? Because this has fucked me off. Why? This gave me a crisis. I was like, I'm more Sorry, dyslexic than I thought. Pajamas. P A J A M A S. Is that like the American no. way? Let me talk. Because this is the British podcast. Podcast? <laughs> Audiobook. Pajamas. They've spelt it wrong. But I Googled it as well. Like, I Googled, I was like, wait, am I spelling pajamas it's, wrong? Yeah, it's the American spelling. That's so weird to have on the English audiobook. Yeah. It really fucked me off. Also, Americans just put the Y in it. It's called... I suppose it is a weird spelling, but still. Yeah. Pajamas. Right. Yeah. It gave me a crisis. I was like staring at it like, that is not how... But because I'm dyslexic, I just immediately assumed that I was the one in the wrong. No, because pajamas looks funny when it's written down. So it's over the next few days and they're all still reeling from the death of Mad-Eye Moody. And they're really struggling to talk to each other because they're being put to a lot of work but a lot of this chapter is going to be me complaining about the same things over and over again and here's the first one harry um ron says do you reckon you already know where the horcruxes are no harry admits i think hermione's been doing a bit of research the theme of the next two chapters yep. is hermione just doing all the work all of the work so much work and harry is like being like oh, i can't believe we've got to wait around four days to do what where are you going Yep. Like, you can do just... Well, actually, you can't plan here because Mrs. Weasley is keeping you apart. But there is, like, nothing that you can... I just... You don't know where you're going Where does he think that... Yeah. And also, he has to wait four days because Flirt and Mrs. Weasley would kill him if he missed the wedding. Not Bill. It's also Bill's wedding. But Bill's so chill. Let men care about their weddings. Well, yes. Men should care about their weddings. (laughs) But I'll tell you who does care... Not just because of the fact that they'll be killed. I really appreciate Ron being really firm in this moment and being like, no, you can't leave. It's one extra day. Don't you realise how important? They're like, he's saying like, we've got to stay for the wedding. It's an extra day. I like Ron for being firm with his family because also the Weezys have given Harry so much. The least he can do and and they've moved this wedding for him. The least he can do is show up and be happy about it. Oh my God. We forgot to do what are we drinking? I knew we forgot something at the top of the episode. That's the most important part. Uh, yeah, sorry Wee! guys. The camera should hopefully be fixed now. We forgot to do what are we drinking in we all did. of that. We're we dumb bitches. idiots. We're so sorry. So today's alcohol comes from Patrick. And Patrick said, my alcohol request is an episode of what y'all like to drink. I've heard too many episodes of nasty stuff. I'd prefer you to have a choice. So each of you picks your favourite and have a great time. This is so nice. We like you. I really like you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so I was thinking about this because my first thought was like what I actually regularly drink on 
a regular basis yeah which would be beer or wine but then i was thinking no like that's what i drink because it's like affordable and practical in that you just pour it out and yeah. it's done but i was like what would i actually if like money and like time, time and fiddliness and then i like my first thought was a passion fruit martini fucking love a passion fruit martini but decided couldn't be asked to make one so i went with a disserano sour which i fucking love any kind of sours to be honest yep can i try test your skills oh that is lovely very nice i hannah went tory i wouldn't say this is like my favorite ever drink because i don't i really struggle to choose my favorite alcoholic drink like amorous sour because is probably you're an one alcoholic Yes, but this is one that I like to make when I've got a bit more time. It's like a really nice drink. I realise I sometimes put gin in it as well. I shove everything in here. So this is Prosecco, Elderflower and Apple Juice. I have realised after tasting it, I made two mistakes. One, I normally use Elderflower Cordial and I accidentally brought like fizzy Elderflower Press. And two, I normally use Cloudy Apple Juice, but it still tastes delicious. It's really easy to make in bulk like if i'm going around someone's house for a day and there's day drinking i often bring this because it's just it's very nice and you can also add gin to it if you want it to be stronger nice can i try it oh that is nice mm. it's very refreshing yep i feel like that is what i'd want to drink like having a barbecue yeah because i will drink pims but i don't love pims i drink it for like the feeling the, the feeling vibes. of drinking pims yeah but that's actually and i don't like i fucking hate aperol mm, but i feel I like that's like aperol. a nice like summer barbecue drink give it a go give it a go so as i said the three of them are struggling to talk to each other because mrs weasley is keeping them apart and trying to find out what they're doing so mrs weasley corners harry in the scullery which has now appeared off the kitchen i mean things can not every room has to be mentioned in the borough but i do like suddenly we've got a scurry scullery scurry scullery that has a magical turning mangle in it which is one of those instances where i'm just like that is less efficient than the muggle equivalent which is a dryer like (laughs) you have added magic to a piece of muggle tech that is drying less clothes worse than just having electricity and having a tumble dryer yes so mrs weasley is saying arthur and i have a right to know what you're doing you have to go back to school you have to tell us what you're doing and harry is going no i don't dumbledore left me a mission you don't need to know um i get where mrs weasley is coming from i do actually think arthur is maybe being the thing is they're not going to stop them going but like if I had a 17 year old child who was like, I'm gonna drop out of school and go off and do a really dangerous mission. I'd be like, no, I don't want you to. Um, So I completely get where she's coming from. This is absolutely terrifying for her. So yeah, Mrs. Weezy is keeping them apart, which I swear at one point at the end of these chapters, uh, Hermione sneaks up to the boy's room in the night to discuss things why can't she just do this every night if they're struggling to talk to each other like Ginny's not going to care Ginny's not going to tell on you just sneak up to their room I don't I don't get why she's not they're talking about the order members and the fact that um the Fidelius charm is broken on Grimmel Place they haven't found Mad-Eye's body um and they're worried that Voldemort has got hold of it and the Daily Prophet is also suppressing a lot a lot of information from the escaped Death Eaters to um the Muggle Studies teacher going missing and all sorts of other things which Ron says isn't anyone at the ministry prepared to stand up to him and the um, information being suppressed is one of those like classic like war things that is actually put into this book because if you suppress information no one can 
like rise up and fight against something like you have to be told that something is happening and also it creates so much confusion that you don't know who to trust what's going on so like yeah, yeah. suppressing information is there's a reason why it's done so ron says that he thinks that mad eyes alive and i have to say as much as so my pet peeve with things is characters coming back from the dead but i don't think this would count under that because to me we didn't see the body and, it, and and the death was off screen we didn't even see the spell being cast exactly. it wasn't it was completely off screen and i had to say that this would have been such a like i just i'm such a sucker for like that character that you think is dead or gone or something blah 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 just appearing like right to like save the day and i just i as much as i don't particularly care about mad eye's death mm. just because i want that moment i'm really sad that we didn't have something like you know when they got like finally caught by the death eaters or something and i can just imagine them like being caught in the woods and then boom suddenly a very like bedrag bedraggled mad eye is there to like save the day and it makes me sad that we didn't get this moment of like he's alive and it's so cruel of jk to like sprinkle this thought in there that's the thing she's really playing on the fantasy trope of if you didn't see the death they're not dead yeah. so like and and i think it's meant to just come back around to the eye being found but yeah i'm like i yeah. wanted more i was reading a book the other day and i was gonna five star it and then literally not even the last chapter the like epilogue bit it was like boom character that not only like you literally saw her get stabbed multiple times saw her dead body she was stabbed several times on a ship in the middle of the ocean yep the ship was then set on fire sure after they'd already seen her dead body sure. and then it was like epilogue it was like so she's alive i was like fuck off and then i didn't five star it i'm not surprised that's and bullshit thing is i was really happy that the character was alive but really fucked off no i yeah there are so few instances where you can do it like and do it for the right reasons and do it well and if you are going to do it you you get one pass in your very long series and yeah. jk didn't even use that she refused to do it at all which i respect but like it's like fantasy books just overuse it and overuse yeah. it and overuse it and i hate it yep if anyone's gonna watch buffy skip for spoilers but buffy does this in a really mixed way mm. where they establish it within the canon that you cannot bring characters back to life blah 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 mm. on like and they they do it and, and then they bring a character back to life and they're like it's different don't it's just different and and then afterwards uh, they again are like let's bring a character and then it's like you cannot bring it it's like you've done it already so they said you can't do this then they did it and then they said you can't do this and it's like <sighs> make up your mind just commit to killing people ron is very funny in these two chapters and i'm gonna point out almost every instance because i feel like he hasn't been this like he's a funny character but he hasn't been this funny in any of the books and suddenly we've got like all these funny lines in these two chapters so this one is ron is being told to clean his bedroom and he says and are they getting married in my bedroom which he's got a point but also no mrs weasley is right you've got guests coming around the house they might act just clean your damn room ron and mr weasley steps in he's like don't talk to your mother like that and i like this because 
it reminds us how young they are to be going off and doing this mission and like Mrs. Weezy's just gone like you shouldn't drop out of school like you should be at home they're still being told to not talk to their mother like that like they're so young they're little babies so they're all in Ron's room Hermione has managed to like sneak away and she's sorting books on the floor while Ron kind of just lounges in beds and probably tries to flirt with her I don't know what's going on yeah I think sorry I think we went past it but I think there's a bit before this when Harry lets slips to G- slip to Ginny oh yeah that they're trying to kill Voldemort and it says it specifically says that Ginny's surprised and I'm like <laughs> what did you think like she's like what? oh that's what you're doing and he was like I was joking it's like what else would they be planning to go off and do Charlie they're having a gap yard <laughs> They're going to centre parks, actually, is what they're doing. No, they're travelling around Thailand and then doing some voluntourism. <laughs> like, I just... What else would they be going off to do? I can't. Duh. I Infuriating. Mean, I suppose Harry makes it sound like... I mean, if they don't know about the Horcruxes, it makes it sound like Harry's going to just be following Voldemort around <laughs> with, ready a big to, knife. with a big knife. Like, if you don't know about Horcruxes, what else yeah. are they doing? So so they're, they're sorting books. There's some nice throwbacks. Most of the book, all of the books that are mentioned, like it constantly mentions Hermione picking up a book and sorting it in between every line almost. And every book that's mentioned has been mentioned in all seven of the previous books at different points, which is yeah. cute for a not to make up new titles to use all these books and then during that harry makes hermione cry by saying that the death eaters probably like turned him into a bone and stuffed him into something hermione bursts into tears and ron bounds off the bed to come and comfort her yeah withdrawing a revolting handkerchief he had used to clean out the oven earlier ron why did you clean the oven and put that in your pocket yeah ew ron like put it in the wash throw it away what has happened to the inside of your pocket if you've put an oven rag in those there those jeans are definitely ruined yeah that's really disgusting um but you know ron is finally being sensitive and understanding yeah this like entire like kind of conversation stems from harry asking if they've thought it through have you like he what thought through coming along yeah oh yeah i'm gonna get to that i put it in like, pink <laughs> literally have you thought it through harry because seriously you had no stuff packed no plan you nope. weren't doing any research nope. like nothing and he has the fucking audacity to say to them have you thought it through don't harry i genuinely cannot wrap my head around what he was going to do if hermione hadn't done all the work for him i can only assume he was going to take that rucksack he packed at the dursleys and fucking walk to Godric's Hollow. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's like when you're a kid and you like run away for oh, yeah. attention and you just like stand at the end of your road like I didn't really have a plan I didn't have a plan. This. I was just That's what Harry he was gonna like get to the end of the street, yeah. like wherever the burrow is, and then just be like oops money yeah uh, the best line in the two chapters with to do with the sorting of the books oh of course said ron clapping a hand to his forehead i forgot we'll be hunting down voldemort in a mobile library <laughs> maybe you should have you would have had a warm place to sleep not a tent i don't know like get a car you three i personally think that they should have just done van life for this year <laughs> they should have just like really decked out a van, a van. how sick could a magically enhanced van look right 
really cool. Like, they could be influencers. You can influences. make a tent on the inside. You could then... make a van huge. None of these three have a driver's license. <laughs> they, that's what Harry should have been doing. Getting a driving license. Yes, he would have been, like, exposing himself to Voldemort every <laughs> lesson. But, like, what's Voldy going to do? I bet that man doesn't know how to open a car door. Oh, my God, that's a really good point. Voldemort can't drive. Just drive away from him because he doesn't know where you're going. So he can't apparate after you. Just drive. Yeah, but he can fly, apparent with his tiny little broom between his legs. Okay. Um, we get a nice tiny bit of foreshadowing with Hermione's looking at Spellman's syllabary. I wonder, will we need to translate ruins? It's possible. Yes, you will. Um, and then Harry does say, listen, like, what are you, have, have you thought this through? Do you sure you want to come with me? And although Harry is being an idiot, like the biggest idiot, I like that he chooses this moment because these two are being so quintessentially themselves before any of the like huge heaviness of this book set in. They're like bickering with each other and making jokes about books and being sarky and snappy and like funny towards each other. And it's like when they're all in the common room. So he chooses this moment to look at them and be like, are you sure you two want to risk everything to come with me? Little old me. Yeah. It's not just... about you, Harry. It's not about you. Hermione finds this very annoying um, because she, Harry seems to be phrasing it as just like, you've made this decision on a whim and this girl has not made this decision on a whim. I don't think she's ever made any decision on a whim. <laughs> no. What she's done is modified her parents' memories so that they think they're called a different name and have moved to Australia. I have so many questions. If they survive, she thinks she might be able to reverse the charm, but she's not sure. If she can find them, I've not been to Australia, but I've heard a few rumours it's quite large. Um, other questions I have, passports. If they think they have a different name, but no, 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 they you would just, need... You tap it and it changes. Easy one. Done. Next. Tap it with the wand. We've, no, seen, but... we've seen people do that with paperwork before. No, but... They still would need to get through the airport and the airport surely would be like, these people don't exist. They don't look up whether you exist. You just have a passport, do they? I don't know. Yeah, of course they look up whether you're real or everyone would just use fake passports. Like, you can't just, like, invent I'm... an identity. This is why, like, if you change your name, you have to, like, do loads of paperwork and send off and stuff. You can't just, like, rock up, like, with, you've tipexed your passport. Shh, this is before 9-11. Airport security didn't... There wasn't as much of it. Okay. Next, next question. My questions include... Okay, I'll get onto the emotional side of it. Let's do all the questions. One, their jobs. When did they hand their notices in? And how, if you changed their names, did they hand their notices in? Maybe they didn't. I mean, I would... Yeah, I don't know. Number two, their house. You can't sell it that fast. And also, selling it would be irresponsible because the Death Eaters are well, going to come along and ransack the house. So I, by selling it, then there'll be other random people living in it. I mean, yeah, I would have just thought that, like, she planted the idea that they wanted to move to Australia. So they would have just, like, rented out the house or something. Which, yeah, not the most moral. Not the most moral because uh, the next people in it are going to die a horrible death. That's a them problem. That's a them problem. Yeah. Question three... You planted in their mind they want to move to Australia. Now, I feel like two adults moving to Australia would take quite a while, but it's only been like four weeks no. of summer and they're already gone. Because we like have the, because they're like, I forget what it's called, but part of the thing. So like Australian and British people can just... No, only if you're under 30 or 35 now. 
Might have been different in the 90s. Might though. have been different in the 90s. They're also like have high education. They might need dentists in Australia. We can't go into this too much, like as in the book can't because it would just open so many, so many plot holes. Yeah. Um, really, clearly Hermione needs to open up a side hustle, forging passports, forging and passports. fake identities. Um, so let's talk about the emotional side of this. This is devastating, and I've always found it one of the most devastating oh, parts like, of the Like, literally, book. because this is, like, how the seventh film opens, and just, like, that was my first thing. Like, it literally, like, opens on her, like, oblivion, and I'm just sat there, like, in the cinema, like, <laughs> well, the film's gonna ruin it, because by oblivion them, you've just wiped I their mean, memories not modified yeah. them but sure um it yeah was no still it, sad. Was, it was devastating she has made the ultimate sacrifice and didn't even ask the boys for help that's what amazes me she didn't say hey i need to do this thing i give you endless support could you come and help me pack up my room at my parents house and put it all in the attic so they don't see it i mean like, she couldn't ask harry because he couldn't leave the dursleys but i don't maybe maybe ron, maybe ron i feel like ron knows in, about this exactly so i feel like maybe he's been being there for her emotionally yeah. well we can tell from this chapter that they have quite a lot of like things they've clearly talked to each other about that don't include harry like they make jokes about like oh here he goes as we knew he would like they are forming their own relationship outside of harry they've always had one but it's getting stronger yeah she's given up like such a big part of her life for harry so it is audacious he's like are you sure? Like, obviously, Harry is such a huge, important part of her life. This is the first time she's really had friends. But and this could have been even better if the books had actually given Mr. and Mrs. Granger some time, some something. This is the first first names we've ever heard. Monica and Wendell, like, are more first names than we get from Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Yeah. And which is sad. I also feel that there's a slight, like, sense of regret when she says unfortunately i've told them quite a bit about you like it's almost like she regrets giving them that part of her life and letting them in about certain things because it's put them in more danger and it's just very sad yeah ron has also done something not so sad but hermione's proud of him and it's difficult and hermione's like go on show him so ron goes out opens the ladder hatch um the the hatch to the attic and inside is a ghoul this led me to question the difference between a ghoul and a ghost. I kind of, yeah. I've always kind of pictured it a bit like a kind of zombie kind of thing. But that that kind of has like horrifying implications if the Weasleys just have like a zombie in their attic. I'm going to look if there's like a quick explanation online. Ghoul versus ghost ghosts a ghoul is a demon-like being or monstrous humanoid often associated with graveyards and the consumption of human flesh so it's yeah it's like a kind of demony zombie thing ghoul according to the harry potter wiki are relatively harmless creatures they just make nuisances and noise they're dim-witted and survive by eating bugs and household pests yeah i feel like it's something that she put in book one like nah quirky and then yeah. she was like shit now there's now i've written ghouls into this yeah um that's the thing i was actually thinking about this earlier that isn't actually a huge amount of like there is and there isn't i feel like when jk rowling references things i'm so good at language it tends to come from more like greek mythology as opposed to like specific like folklore Mm. like she's very like narrow with what she 
references Mm -hmm. whereas like that that's kind of different from a lot of fantasy where it does take more heavily yeah i mean she pulls a lot of different things in but the actual like what they are is as in like the definition of what they where they come from is more limited i'd say yeah but i feel like you know she does like centaurs and stuff like that Mm. but it's not like she has like proper like fae and stuff like that no no and like she has like house elves but not like elves Elves. yeah yeah it's quite yeah i feel like she leans more towards like the kind of greek mythology and stuff yeah i do find it interesting that in these books we have ghosts poltergeists and ghouls like well, seemingly from Google, ghouls have actually nothing to do with ghosts. I did always think that they I were just like I always thought it a... was a ghostly type thing, but no, no I think not. that must come from graveyards. But yeah, apparently yeah. they're just like a demony. I mean, thing. it must be very solid because otherwise there's no way you could mistake it for a human. Yeah. Per- That's fucking terrifying, therefore, that like a solid slimy being, humanoid being has yeah. been in their attic the whole time. And according to Google, flesh eating. Yeah, because poltergeists have a fascinating definition especially in the context of harry potter and i can't remember how much of it is real poltergeist mythology and how much is added real poltergeist as in like an added harry potter mythology but poltergeists thrive are created by the presence of mischief and nuisance so obviously hogwarts has a very strong presence of a poltergeist because the school is mischievous but if there were no students at it for hundreds of years or if all the students were perfect and good the poltergeist would not exist it's the students creating peeves which i adore God, and like I'm surprised it's, he gets that... stronger with like fred and george and stuff yeah i'm surprised that there wasn't just like five more poltergeists like yeah. fred and george's <laughs> first year yeah paul filch is like for fuck's sake so ron has transfigured the ghoul to have ginger hair it's wearing his pajamas and it's covered in pustules and basically the plan is that ron the wheezies are going to put out the story that ron has spatagroich which is like a dangerous wizard disease and if anyone comes and checks the ghoul's just going to be chilling in his bedroom with a spatagram. And I just thought, it says that the ghoul's really excited about it because he just keeps nodding. He gets to be in a bedroom. Oh, he gets a window. He gets a window. I'm so happy for this ghoul. How nice for the ghoul. I keep imagining like the Weasleys forgetting that the ghoul's in there and being like, ah! oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I like to think that like, what will happen? It will be Arthur first. He'll just like, pop in there when he's missing Ron to like look at the room and in the end we'll start to talk to the ghoul about the fact he's missing Ron and then it kind of spreads and Mrs Weasley starts to do it as well and by the time Ron finally comes back the ghoul is part of the family yeah like Ron now has to share his bedroom with (laughs) With a ghoul because he's he's part he's a Weasley now he is part of the family like he's not just just on the camp bed like yeah he's like fully they've like adopted him well that's a good point I hope the ghoul gets to keep Ron's bedroom after all this can you imagine if you like get back up to the attic right horrible oh my god for some reason I just pictured Ron and Hermione's wedding and the ghoul is the best man (laughs) in a Harry's off to the side like are you fucking kidding and they're like they've tried to remove the ghoul's red hair and he's like no no no, no, no. they removed it and he then bought a toupee I kind of stand the ghoul now character so yeah the two of them are explaining everything they've done and Hermione's saying she hopes it looks like she's gone into hiding with her mum and dad because I quote a lot of Muggleborns are talking about going into hiding at the moment and this isn't just like where we get a general reference to 
muggle-borns being similar to Jewish people in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. This is a very over, like, pulled line that is extremely intentionally reminiscent of the Jewish people's persecution in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Like, if you read accounts, there's talk for years and years before all about the 1930s of preparing, going into hiding and different things people are doing as the regimes were coming in. So, like, we've always known that the Muggleborns and the persecution of them can we can draw parallels to that to world war ii but like this line was just like smack into that which we've talked about before i don't have like a huge problem with it because these books are aimed at children and by using like magical world things to teach children why like persecution is wrong is is not necessarily a bad thing it just then gets messy with some of the other things that are brought into this i also think that sometimes it can be really hard to avoid because yes like the concept of like racism bigotry genocide like persecution like all of these things regardless of specific instances in history are always going to be like a concept that exists i think it's hard when you're writing fantasy because you can have like wars going on and have refugees and yada 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 and it can genuinely not be meant as like a metaphor or reference to a specific issue obviously sometimes it is and i think harry potter definitely means towards it is Mm. but like just talking as a fantasy reader in general it's like it it just has to be a thing there has to be in a book like a point of contention a lot of the time in fantasy this is some kind of war on like some varying scale it can be like a one-on-one war or like a grand battle kind of war and therefore you're always going to have these issues these like topics of like refugees genocide all of these things and it might not actually be referencing something specific and if it is sometimes it can be problematically done Mm. but also you can't like sometimes it will just be not referencing something and just a coincidence and it's not that you shouldn't be able to write those things because Mm. it's just a human issue and at the end of the day fantasy as a genre was in essence created to shine a light like backwards onto humanity like it, it it was created to understand the human experience whether that's like the hero's journey or like like wars and things like that um through a different lens so like this is where it's like there's no media that doesn't copy from other people there's also no storytelling that doesn't like actually yeah reflect back on real world events it just depends how obviously it's pulling from it but also i think that in a children's story as long as it's done in certain tasteful ways there's no problem necessarily pulling directly from it it's some of the other things jk rowling pulls into the real world that are dodgy but i don't think yeah this whole thing about muggleborns going into hiding like there's obviously a lot of instances of like you know like people who've become refugees having to go into hiding i just think the language of it is very reminiscent of like when you read letters from people who were living under the nazi regime in germany it's essentially like okay in this case however the goblins is yeah, oh. yeah ah! kind of really ironic that- it is really ironic isn't it yeah to yeah. put both in yeah she's like you can hate the jews this much <laughs> but not but not this, this much. much no yeah i can excuse, excuse anti-semitism, anti-semitism but, but i draw, draw the, the line, line at racism <laughs> that was a really dark joke i'm really sorry sorry guys sorry so 
yeah they've talked to harry about all these plans and they're like look we're serious why aren't you getting this la 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 and harry finally does get it and hermione's continued to sort the books ron is just staring at her like literally it says ron sat watching her like okay ron i get it you're very in love with her it's okay and harry is looking from one to the other unable to say anything because he finally realizes Jesus, the measures they've gone to and he can't put into words. He simply could not find words important enough to tell them what they meant to him. I'm like, find some. <laughs> find some. They deserve to know. Yeah. You're a twat. Um, but yeah, he finally understands what these people are putting themselves through. So they talk about what they're actually going to do when they leave the burrow. None of them have a clue. Hermione's like, I don't think we should go to Godric's Hollow. I think that's a really bad idea. And Harry's like, I've just, I've just got a feeling. I've just got a really strong feeling, which I get. This kid has never been taken to see his parents' grave. Like I do get it. But Hermione raises the good point that Voldemort is probably watching Godric's Hollow, which is exactly true. It is, it is what's happening. I'm still kind of on harry's side about that though in terms of at this point in time they have literally oh no no other may as well go like yeah they need to take precautions but they have no other like starting point yeah they talk about the locket and the note and ron's like what if (sighs) what if he did finish it off and Hermione's like or she whichever what if they did finish it off they still need to find it to work out if it was finished off basically they have no clue what's happening and then they start talking about what are they going to do when they actually get hold of one how are they going to destroy one really good good point there thank you i love how they discuss this and still don't have a solution to it when they get it there's these whole like paragraphs and paragraphs about how you destroy a horcrux and what exactly one is and you still don't it's too dangerous to carry okay just come up with some sort of i don't know like (laughs) yeah and just Harry thinking like, oh, yeah, I never did ask how you do. Harry. No, Dumbledore. I mean, yeah. Seriously, what but were also, you training this kid for? Yeah, like, I just, why did Harry never wonder, never ask? But also, yeah, Dumbledore, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Yeah. Turns out Hermione has stolen all of the banned Horcrux books. And we get one of my favorite reoccurring gags in the book where Hermione does something that breaks the rules and both boys are like, oh, you're amazing. Ron says, how in the name of Merlin's pants have you managed to get hold of those Horcrux books? Dumbledore must have like, he definitely took down any like security. There's no way that normally you would just be able to like, Accio. Also, it's the genericness of it. Axio Horcrux books. Are you joking? Do you not have to be specific about the title? What if I'm just like, Axio fantasy books and every fantasy book at Hogwarts comes like, like zooming towards me out the window. Yeah. God, what you said, Accio books. And then you (laughs) die. Books. So yeah, Hermione got hold of these books and they're really dark and horrible. It talks about like how you make a horcrux, talks about ripping your soul apart. It talks about if you can reverse it. And apparently you can by experiencing remorse, which I'm kind of, uh, no. Horcruxes are only made when you intentionally murder someone, right? And you still have to do like a spell. They're not just yeah. made by like, oops, I accidentally committed, like, committed a little, little bit of manslaughter. Just a tad. We all sometimes commit a little bit of manslaughter. Just a tad. They talk about how to destroy them. Harry got very lucky with the whole basilisk fan thing. And they talk about, yeah, as I said, the other ways they can be destroyed. Then they talk about how the Horcrux works in the fact that it is 
not the Horcrux you need to destroy, it's the thing that it is contained within and that destroys the Horcrux. Whereas if you killed a human, its soul would live. You know what they should have done? What? They should have made an audio recording of Harry going, popped it in an owl over to Hogwarts once Ginny, etc. were there. Made them pop down to the Chamber of Secrets. Pick up a fang or two. I pop them back via owl. I just feel that maybe their first port of call when they got out the burrow is in that month before Hogwarts opened. Yeah. Going to Hogwarts and getting a basilisk fang. Like, I, I just feel that you could have done that in the month the school was closed it feels pretty easily. Yeah, like they really focus on the sword and the fact that they don't have a way and blah, blah, blah. And But no point are like, should we try and go get a basilisk? The one thing that we know works. I get that they can't do it once term has started because Voldemort's taken over the school, whatever. But there is a month where they're holed up in grim old place trying to get into the ministry. Could you also break into Hogwarts and get a basilisk the fan? Is, they do eventually break into Hogwarts. I know, but they say it's like my hardest thing. Yeah, but like they break into Gringotts as well. I know. Like, their priorities are getting the Horcruxes with no way to destroy them. I'm like, this is just get something that can destroy anything. Yeah. Come also, I'm sorry, like, Hagrid is literally there in these chapters. Man lives at Hogwarts. Oh my god, yeah, they could pull him aside and be like, Hagrid, this is her, repeat after me. Go do that. Could you go do that? Please. Yeah. Come they on, make team. No effort. Team. To... <laughs> literally, Hagrid is over for dinner. Like, then going back to the school. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. So yeah, they're discussing all this and then suddenly Mrs. Weasley comes bursting in being like what are you three doing why aren't you helping la 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 i'm sorry to break up this cozy little gathering like <laughs> ron says it's like being a house elf is it is it ron is it but without the job satisfaction have i gone insane or has the light no the just light just changed quite drastically oh it's the leds it's the leds they've gone off yes it is Weird. i literally i because i was looking at them and i was like I thought I'd got insane. No, I was... Yeah. Yeah, Ron says it's like being a house elf without the job satisfaction. And so glad to know even though you've learned how to flirt with Hermione, you haven't let yet, <laughs> yet learn that slavery is not okay even when people say they like it. Slavery is bad, actually. Slavery is bad, actually. The Delacours arrive um, and Harry A whines about how tidy the place is. He doesn't like how tidy the garden is. And then... B makes a comment that Madame Delacour is hot, but her husband is um, no way near as attractive as his wife. Specifically because he is short and fat. But what I really love about this in terms of I fucking hate this is, as we know, Harry has his moral compass based on how attractive people are. Therefore, Harry slash JK Rowling had to add into the end of that but he looked good-natured. Like, he might be fat and short, but he's not evil, guys, despite being fat and short, because we know that all fat and short people are ugly. Are, are evil, sorry. Also, shut up, Harry, you giant hypocrite. You had a hot <laughs> girlfriend and you're a short ass. Oh, so right? don't belittle other short men who've managed to bag hot wives. <laughs> exactly. Like, Harry, not everyone is as shallow as you are. Slash JK. The Delacours turn out to be lovely. Mm. Nice people. 
the accent that Stephen Fry does on the audiobook <laughs> is like borderline a hate crime. Good. It's not good. Does he try to do different voices for Madame and Monsieur Delacour? Do you know what? I didn't even notice because it was just so like uncomfortably French. I am starting, by the way, to fully buy into the theory that the, your theory. We've always tried to back Fleur up as much as possible. I'm starting to fully buy into your theory that Fleur, whenever she's being rude, is trying to do English sarcasm and yeah. failing. And Fleur is actually a lovely, lovely person. Oh, 100%. Like she's just really trying to do English sarcasm and hasn't quite got the tone or the knack of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Delacours are lovely, pleasant people who can work out how to clean an oven and pronounce everything charmant. And yeah, Gabrielle is like, batting her eyelashes at Harry which you go Despite for it. Despite him tiny. being short. But she's 11. She's probably the same height as him. Yeah, true. And she's got daddy issues. Clearly she loves a short man. Clearly. Then right at the end of the chapter we get this really, really heartbreakingly cute moment where Mrs. Weezy comes up to Harry and says how do you want to celebrate your birthday? 17 is really important. And Harry's like no, no. Nothing. It's the day before the wedding. Please. Mr. Weasley goes, okay, well, we'll just invite a few people then, just some of your favourites. And then they look at each other and she gives him a long searching look, smiles sadly and walks away. And Harry feels remorse for the inconvenience and pain he's giving her. And it hurts because they're both saddened by each other. Mrs. Weasley, because Harry is so humble because of his upbringing that he doesn't even feel he can ask for anything his birthday. He doesn't, he didn't think anything was going to happen. He doesn't think he deserves any sort of fuss to be made for him. And that makes Mrs. Weasley sad because she is trying to love him as fully possible, but he is still not used to having like a parental figure he can ask things from. He's maybe never going to get to the point where he can say, can you do this for me, please? Yeah. And Harry is feels that he is causing her stress and worry, but what he kind of doesn't realise yet fully is that that stress and worry is because she loves him like a son and it is the role of a parent to feel obviously there's like heightened stress and worry at the moment because Voldemort but like it is the role of every time I have like an issue I phone my mum about I end the call with like I'm so sorry for stressing you out like adding stress to your life and she's like that's my job Hannah like my job is to just be your sounding board for things like yeah that is if I wouldn't have kids if I didn't want that like and I, I tend to apologize to mum when things go like really wrong where like something's gone really wrong in a job or like like a house disaster or something I'm like I'm so sorry and she's like this is my job you're fully grown up now but this is the job of a parent yeah. like I it's so sweet did this the other day to my mum because I'd be like so so sick mm. for like two weeks and I literally all I'd been able to do was like lie on the sofa I was at the point where like clearly like my lungs and my sinuses were infected my eyes were infected so like I was just like they were like glued shut with pus which I know is so gross no, my ears were infected so I couldn't hear and I was just so ill and snotty and horrible and it'd been like two weeks and I hadn't broken down about it and I was bored out my fucking mind and just uh, and it was like the morning where, that I woke up and was like I can't hear like my ears have gone and then I rang my mum and just like you know when you're just I was like final straw blah blah, blah and just like cried down the phone to her for like five minutes five minutes just like I'm so sick. I'm fed of, of feeling this way. Like it's been a month that I've been sick and now it's been two weeks that it's been so bad. And it's one thing after another. I'm not getting any better. I need to go back to work. I'm so fucking bored. I, and like literally just ranted at her and like sobbed down the phone. And at the end of my like run, I was like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, 
literally it's my job yeah <laughs> like i wasn't even asking her to do anything although she did she was like do you want me to come and look after you i'm like no <laughs> no it's fine but like i was like i just apologized for like venting yeah and the thing is like we're both so lucky because like there are plenty of people who don't have that for yeah. various reasons but i love that like that that mrs Weezy's was written to have that of that feeling of it's my job to do this extends to harry because that's one of her children i just yeah but harry's so humble he's like please don't do anything for my birthday (laughs) they're both so cute yeah chapter seven the will of albus dumbledore harry is having a dream about being on a mountain road looking down a valley of a small village um he's immediately woken up by the words oi wake up so we don't get much (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Poor Ron. Ron has never had a full night's sleep in his life, like caring for Harry. Like, yeah. I'm starting to feel a lot more sympathy for Ron's grumpiness, considering just Harry's constant state of being. Yeah. Ron says Harry, Harry, Harry. He says things. Harry was muttering the name Gregorovich, which, damn, Harry is muttering clearly in his sleep for Ron to right? pick up the word Gregorovich. Yeah. Also, what I would really, hear was really convenient that he's like specifically saying the key piece, like in <laughs> key like, piece of plot information is being whispered. If he was dreaming about like mountains or something, he might be going mountains, mountains, <laughs> valley, hillside. No, also, thing. I fully think in your sleep you'd go, yeah. You wouldn't go Gregorovich. Or more like you'd just be saying nonsense. I'm sorry. The only time I've ever heard people sleep talk, it's just nonsense. No, important plot information that Ron is clearly like being like, they really should get Harry that like sleep app that listens to what you're saying and like records it. Yes, they should. They discuss who Gregorovich is. They don't know. And Ron's like, Harry's like, please don't tell Hermione. Like Hermione's their mother or something. God's sake. She's just trying to look after you. Harry realizes he's 17. It's his birthday. So he decides to do some magic. He's like axioing his glasses and tying his shoelaces. And Ron, again, in his high banter mood, says, I do your flies by hand, though. And then laughs because Harry immediately looks down. Question. Tell me what you think about me. Does the trace break? At midnight or the minute you were born? I think midnight because the trace is made up by the government. So it's down to midnight on the day. It's not an actual piece of magic based on your birth time. So I think it works in the same way ID works. It's not 18 years after you were born. But then I just think about that in terms of like a spell. So they would have to make a spell individually tailored to everyone's birthday. Yeah, I, I reckon it's something done at birth when a baby is registered a spell is put on like the birth certificate it feels like it'd be more convenient for it to just be like the moment you turn that would be so annoying if you didn't remember your birth time well, that's the thing my parents don't remember mine and my well they do is it not written down anywhere no so they one of us is 10 a.m and one of us like is like 11 p.m or something and they don't remember whose is whose <laughs> so it would have to you just have to wait until like the later one my parents remember all of my essential information and none of my <laughs> oh no yeah this is a classic thing they have a book of loads of like harriet's first yeah. things none for me one of the reasons though they remember all of mine 
isn't just because I'm the firstborn and more important. It is. It's because they used to play the lottery until just after Matt was born and they their numbers were based on my essential information. So it, were based on my, it was based on my birth time and my birth weight and things like that. So my dad remembers it all off by heart because he remembers his lottery numbers, which they're now like, they can never check the lottery numbers because they use the same yeah. numbers for like six or seven years. So they're like, we can never check. Yeah. Do you ever play the lottery? No, and I always mean to, and I never do. Yeah, I don't play it regularly, but I do when the Euro Millions has a big rollover, I enter, I think, and it's just a bit of fun. I think I've tried a couple of times on, like, the app. Oh, the app is weird. I used it yeah. last time, and I've now got £5 sitting in my account because you can only load a certain yeah, amount I think, into there. I think this is the thing. I yeah. think that I had to load money or something, and then I can't remember if I just gave up with it, or I feel like, and I can't remember because it's been years since I've tried, I feel like I tried, like, twice, and both times there was some kind of issue with yeah. my account that it wasn't let, and then I was like... I'm not going to win anyway, so. I preferred it when, I mean, I say I preferred it when, I can still go do this. I just, when I used to temp, we used to always all enter when it was high rollover. And the app and the website did exist, but they weren't as used. And so when we went out on our lunch break, when it was high rollover, we'd all buy a ticket. And that is a lot more fun when you get given an actual ticket rather than the app. Like the app feels like you're just playing a mobile game. Yeah. If you won, would you tell people? That's a really good question. It depends how much I won. Did you know if you don't tell people, if you don't make it public, they charge you to process it? There is a monetary advantage to telling people because they want it to be advertised. Wow. I know. That seems deeply immoral. Doesn't it just? I found this out the other week and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, it's hard because like my default would be like, no. But then I know that I would want to do things like buy all of my friends a house if they couldn't afford it. Yeah. So it'd have to be like that thing. Because I know that you can like pay someone to help you do it anonymously. That So basically they get contacted by a third party, like someone in your life wants to do this. Wow. But I feel like then everyone in your life is like one thing going to be looking around and just connecting the dots. Of yeah. Who else? Da, da, da. And also just being like, who seems like they might have and will look for any. Well, that's the thing they'd notice. It depends. It depends how much you want and how you spend it because they would notice your lifestyle increasing. Like one of the first things I'd want to do is rent a huge beautiful like mansion somewhere on the greek islands and just take everybody who wants to come and have a big holiday like i just want to do that straight away yeah would you take the big payout or would you get it in yearly sums oh, i forget what's like the advantage to again i think there's processing fees with the yearly sums but the lottery itself recommends it because they they think it's better for people's like mental health and stuff i think i'd take the big chunk yeah i think i'd rather choose where to invest it because then yeah. i could be the one because if because if you win the lottery big time you are making money if you invest it in the right way i like, mean no you're making money if you just put it in a bank ron gives harry his birthday present and it's a book and the book is 12 fail safe ways to charm witches and i have a few questions okay the main one is ron who is Harry going to use this on? You are about to go on a Horcrux hunt. The last person <laughs> Harry dated was your sister, who he just dumped and is upset about it. You are now going on the run with one woman who you're in love with. Who do you think that Harry is using this book on? It is cute that he's like, I liked this, so you'll like it. It's kind of yeah. cute. Two, there's a line that says, it's not all about wand work either. 
I didn't think it was. What the fuck is the one work? Um, I think it's an innuendo. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. No, but it's charm. It's charm. What it's is the pun? This is not surely a date rape book. Ron would not buy Harry. I His think it means I think he ex, means I think he a means book spells. On date rape. I think he means spells. No, wand work. He's basically like it's the what do people say? It's the motion, the ocean. Not the, I don't know. So sorry, you think he's bought Harry a book that tells him how to finger women? Like what no, is you it buying? No, here? specifically no, because it's not all about the wand work. So it's essentially like, it's not just about, you know, how big your dick is and what you're doing in bed, but it's about listening. And it's not about casting spells to make people like you. No. My comment that I had on this is, this is so Gilmore Girls coded. (laughs) When uh, Luke gives um, Jess the... Oh, yeah. Just the cutest. I do like that despite the weird connotations of the last person Harry dated being Ron's sister, that Ron is like, I liked this book. You'll like it. Although, like, normalize men reading books, articles, anything on how to be good in bed. There is, just do it. There's no shame in it. What There is shame in just being bad in bed because you put no effort into... And, you know, maybe then also normalize brothers being like you know what i want my sister to be satisfied in bed so here here my sister's boyfriend a book on where the clit is but on the other hand i do think because this is obviously a play on the 90s books like men are from mars women are from venus things like that that these books really normalize gender stereotypes which is all women are like this so you can charm them like this and all men are like this so you can do this to attract i mean them. yeah but it's like just like at least from what we see of Ron, like what he's putting into action, a lot of it is really like basic human decency. I know. Like, I know. Listen to them. Compliment, Compliment them. them. <laughs> Which, like, you would think, oh, surely, how can you. But Ron does need this. But also, teenagers need this. Like, I think we say this as adults having the confidence. I no longer feel any sort of embarrassment to compliment people. But I remember being like 15, 16 and being like, oh my God, if I tell them I like their jumper. Yeah. I mean, I still get this a bit because I just have like the weird bisexual thing of like being terrified that straight women are going to think I'm coming on to them. Mm. It's like kind of weirdly like internalized biphobia. Yeah. Kind of in a way where I'm like, I'm just so like insecure and worried about that, that like I'm weird about like complimenting my female friend. Like I do, but like it feels weird. I'm weird about like touching my female friends. Like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. But like, I'd, it's really annoying, but like I'd far rather like hug Neil than you. Like, but not because I don't want to hug you, but because like I have like this like horrible internalized thing where I don't want to like feel like a predator, even though I'm not. I don't think you're predatoring me. Well, I don't think that you think, but I do, you know? I see that. I'm mental. I don't know. Any other bi girls get this? Like, that fear? You can hug me anytime you want. (laughs) But it's that, like, you know, so, like, the, like, pee changing room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ew, they're a lesbian. Even if they weren't. It's like that, that, like, yeah. I always find that, it's just so stupid. It's, I can't even get into it. Good I was just remembered. No, I was just remembered the other the other day. I was at the Christmas dinner I have with my home friends every year in January. We were discussing how one time we all got just just interested in what nipples l- looked like on other real women. So we all just sat there with our tops up, like, 
interesting, yeah. And they're like, the fuck is wrong with you six? Seriously. But that's the kind of thing that I'd feel really uncomfortable doing because I mean I'd... there are bi girls in the group, but yeah, I understand I mean, why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like everyone's different. Everyone's different. Like weird, How dare like... not all bi people be exactly the same? Right. <laughs> I see that. I yeah. see that. Let's look at each other's nip. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, we could. They go downstairs and there's a pile of presents and and I, I very nearly cried. Oh, I welled up, but I am on my period. Relatable. I'm not on my period. So Mr. and Mrs. Weasley have got Harry of watch, which is tradition for when wizards come of age. But they clearly couldn't afford a new one like they'd got Ron. So they've given him Molly's brother's Fabians. This is her dead brother who died in the first world war and she apologizes for it being beat up she's given him her d- and bear in mind like of the things you get like back when it, like obviously you get all the stuff back when a relative dies but that watch was probably one of the most prized possessions because that is this important piece of yeah. like jewelry and she's choosing to give it to and at this point, it's like a family heirloom. And it's so nice because, I mean, it's extra nice kind of that you think later on that he does literally marry into the family. Yeah. But it's nice that even now when it's just like, he's just, yeah. And also because she was worried that he wouldn't get this tradition. So she made sure he yeah. could take part in it. It's so fucking cute. And Harry finally is learning how to be a better human and express his emotions through touch which and he says no words and just gives her a huge proper hug which he has never really initiated the hugs between the two of them so i'm like yes harry you do that you go i think that this is very like teenage boy kind of reaching the later end of the teens because like Mm. i feel like teenage boys go through the whole like surly grunting can't communicate like blah 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 and I feel like this is Harry starting to come out the other end of it of being like, actually, like, it's not lame if I, like, give my mother figure, like, a, a big huge hug. hug. She'll like it. It will make her happy. Yeah. And then, like, after she's all, like, flustered and stuff. <laughs> so sweet. This warmed my heart so much. Um, Hermione gets Harry a sneaker scope. Um, he gets an <coughs> enchanted razor. He gets some chocolates and a load of wizard Weasley Wizard Weezes merchandise. Miney says, I'll pack these for you, picking up all the presents. I'm just waiting for the rest of your pants to come out the wash, Ron. The romance at its finest. These two are so in love with each other and Hermione's waiting for his pants to come out the wash. Domestic bliss is already here, kids. I hope there was no skid marks. They're clean. They're coming out the wash. Mrs. Weasley would not let them out with skid marks. It's Mrs. Weasley. It might be pretty fucking caked in there. (laughs) She can buy them new ones. We are not. No, oh God, these two haven't even got together, and this is this is a low point in debate. Like I always feel when I'm folding Neil's pants like a 1950s housewife. I'm like, oh, here we go. I don't have to fold my pants; they just screw up in like a in uh, my drawer. Yeah, I think I would just screw up men's pants. No, they fit better in the drawer if you fold them. To be fair, I I own and wear men's pants. I just screw them well. I'd probably screw them up if they were mine, but I fold his because I'm nice like that. Ginny then calls Harry into her room, which he's never been inside before, which really Hermione sleeps in there every year. Like you haven't even like poked your head inside. I guess maybe they've really had it drilled into them that you don't go in the women's sleeping space because of the bizarre Hogwarts 
dormitory. And I also am betting that in a household with six boys and one girl, they have this weird amount of respect for Ginny's space. Yes. That just made me think about like, you've got to know this is the only bedroom that doesn't stink a B.O. Yep. All of those boys' rooms. But yeah, I bet the boys were always like running out of each other's rooms and they treated Ginny like a boy, but the one rule was like, don't enter her space. Or like they tried to one time. Like I feel like it would be like Fred or Dental Magic. No, 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 no. Like I feel like they did. And then they probably saw something like an unused tampon and then were like, (laughs) and now (laughs) Now they're terrified. Never go in there. So yeah, it's got, you know, pictures of Gwenog Jones and things like that. It also it mention, doesn't mention having a camp bed in which mine is like the sleeping arrangements are confusing. Yeah. It's fine. I feel I, I want there to be like a wizarding boy band poster. I know. We know Ginny definitely would be like Oh wait, that. no, hold on. The Weird Sisters are Oh no, they are women. For some reason I thought the Weird Sisters were men just then. Like it was like a little like the Scissor I, Sisters. Yeah, you're, I was about to say you're thinking, thinking of the Scissor, Scissor Sisters. Sisters. I feel like Ginny definitely would be like that thirsty teenage girl. Like Ginny, the thing is, Ginny, we know that she's a fangirl because she is a fangirl for Harry. So like she definitely would have a wizarding boy band yeah. type of fixation. Yep. I'm so glad I was allowed to stick whatever I wanted on my walls. Like you, I met some people in school who weren't allowed to stick things on their walls because blue tack ruins the paint i'm like it's a teenager let them ruin the paint for god's sake i mean yeah there's the whole like beige children toy thing i saw a woman with like i don't know i'm bad at children ages but i feel like her daughter was like four or something and they had a beige christmas tree no not just the decorations the actual tree was beige i want to kill it just Uh, I just don't get why these people hate colour. And hate, yeah, their children's develop and children's things. Don't have a child if you don't want child's things in the house. Yeah. But yeah, like I had friends growing up who weren't, who came in my room. They were like, oh, wow, you're allowed to stick things up. I'm not allowed to. I was like, of course I am. Hot glued. Hot glued. Records to my ceiling. Like, have you seen Pretty in Pink? No, actually. There's a record shop in that. And the entire ceiling's just covered in like records. So I went to a car boot and got like loads of like old shit records nice. for like 50p or something and hot glued them all to my ceiling. Crafty. And then like years later when they sold the house, my mum just had to like fucking pry them oh all off my the ceiling. God. I also wrote in permanent marker on my door, Dumble. And Dumbledore. it gave me, to be fair, years of entertainment of people going to open the door going, why is that Dumble written on your... F- for fuck's sake! As they I, like, said it and realised. I wrote in Sharpie on my light switch, Lumox, Lumos oh, and Knox. Yep. <laughs> Stock on my wall in terms of uh, boys was... Uh, the biggest one was Taylor Lautner stuck to the ceiling. Nice. And then we had all sorts of Harry Potter posters. We definitely had Rupert Grint on the wall. We had One Direction on the wall. Who else did we have on the wall? The Wanted were on the wall. I think it says a lot about me that I didn't have men on my wall. I had women. And a massive one of Yay! Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. The only men, because at one point uh, when I was like 14 or something, I like wallpapered my wall with like enemy cutouts. Because mm. of course, so obviously there was like men in that because they were like in the, but it, they weren't specific posters. Posters, I had like Sarah Michelle Geller and I think that might have been it I don't think I had a lot of posters I think they were like quite spenny 
So I didn't really. I no, I used to rip things. Do you remember magazines? The middle page would be one you could pull yeah. out. Um, but it would make like holes in the middle. But yeah, that's what used to be the main thing. But I'd also stick loads of things. So yeah, the big boy one for a long time was Taylor Lautner on the ceiling. But then my wall had all sorts of things on. Like I would I would print off like quotes and little pictures and pictures of my friends. Like I basically made like a scrapbook big monster. One of my least favourite things. Harry chanced to glance at Ginny. She was not tearful. That was one of the many wonderful things about Ginny. She's not like other girls. He had sometimes thought that having six brothers must have toughened her up because tears and emotions that Hermione has are for the weak. The yep. weak I tell you. And the thing is I can kind of forgive this until a point because he's come off the back of Cho Chang. <laughs> no, no. Harry has just been dating Cho Chang, sure. who cried all the time. So I can understand him liking that Ginny doesn't also cry all the time. It's, it is dickheadish, but I can contextually get it. But the brother thing, it's it's that trope of like the like female in a movie and she like does some fighting or some sport or something and she's like, I grew up with brothers. No! Women can just be a certain way it doesn't have to be because of their brothers like the thing is in the context of this being a 16 17 year old boy it makes sense him having this reaction like i don't like women crying i like women not crying but the problem is in harry potter is we can't just always have everything from a 17 year old's boy perspective because this is also jk rowling's perspective well i yeah. say that she loves hermione and she sees herself in hermione so like yeah i don't but yeah crying is definitely seen as a weakness in these books yeah and it's it's so it's like Ginny is a 16-year-old girl and her 17-year-old boyfriend is essentially going to go off to war and probably get murdered. Yep. Let the bitch cry! Well, she does cry later in this chapter. Good! Let her cry! So, um, Ginny is the boldest 16-year-old I've ever come across. Right? I'm sorry, I kind of... I'm a bit like... Don't believe it. I no don't believe is this. No 16 year old can do this. I think dating opportunities are going to be pretty thin on the ground, to be honest. There's the silver lining I've been looking for. She whispered and then she kissed him. Wouldn't have the guts to do this now. I. Slay. I must have been like. I reckon I was 15. God. Was that my. Yeah. My first kiss, I was 15. Or maybe 14. I think. And. Uh, I'd been like dating this guy for dating this guy for a while and like I specifically remember we just kept hanging out and like we would barely like brave enough to hold hands and like every lunch and we both wanted to kiss each other but both were like too scared and we'd like go home and like in the end had like a full-on MSN conversation like should we do it tomorrow yeah okay and then we're still both too scared and then eventually like we fought and it was like the most like timid awkward like right at the end like the bell had gone and we were like well it's now or never like and then just kind of mm, and uh, gross like you shouldn't have a conversation shall we kiss tomorrow <laughs> i mean at lunch. least there's, i like, mean yes i'm very pleased for the consent in this story. yes but like not like that. Not, like not that. over a <laughs> the day before. Don't schedule a kiss. I mean, Ginny has had like three boyfriends at this point and she's always been a confident. Slap. She's always been a <laughs> person, but yeah. Go, you go, girl. Jesus. Like, wow. Um, They're snogging. It's like really blissful and amazing. Wow. And then the door bangs open and it's Ron and Ron goes, oh, 
He definitely heard Sorry. Like, through and also, like, Hermione's behind him, like, out of breath. I can imagine him or her at the top of the stairs being like, no! <laughs> well, actually, no, no. There was, like, yeah, half an hour of her just, like, holding him back no. as, like, the slobbering noises came through the door <laughs> and she's, like, trying to stop it. And he, like, because he fancies her, is trying not to hurt her. Just So, yeah, Ron appears at the door and... Ginny starts crying and Harry follows Ron. So he leaves. Ron's like marching through the house and Hermione's described as <laughs> trotting after the two. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Because Harry's like, he kept pace with Ron all throughout the house. Like he's scared to fall behind. Yeah. Let's face it. Hermione was just following for the gossip. Yeah. She's like, I, w- I want to be involved. I want to be involved. She kind of really maybe should have stayed with Ginny who's crying in her room. But she was probably checking Ron doesn't punch Harry in the face. Yeah. So Ron starts having a go at Harry. And... Obviously, we don't like when Ron is like a overprotective brother in some ways. However, I do see the crux of his argument at this point, which yeah. is you dumped her and she was really cut up when you ended. And Harry's response is, so was I. I don't think that's a fair response because you've had a lot going on. You also haven't seen Ginny in a month. Ron like went home with Ginny the day of Dumbledore's funeral. He has actually like yeah. firsthand seen how much this has affected her for the last month and is saying to Harry... She is more devastated than she has been with other boyfriends. You are hurting her again. Like, yeah. this is actually coming from a place of kindness and compassion. It's just coming yeah. out in anger. No, I don't have a single issue with this from Ron. I think that this is the correct way to be like a possessive brother. Yeah. Like, this is actually him being protective instead of just possessive. Yeah. Like, this maturity is him, from yeah, Ron. Growth from actually Ron. Actually, just being concerned for her. And yeah, like, I'm sorry. It is a dick move from Harry. And I know that she kissed him, but Harry realistically is one older and two, the one that ended it. Yeah. He should have shut that shit down. Yeah. And that is not productive for either of them. No. And I understand why he was too weak to like, he's 17 years old. He's madly in love with this girl and he just wanted this one moment. So I totally understand why he didn't. Yeah. But I do think that he deserves this bollocking. From, yeah. Like if you're going to do that, you deserve the consequence of this. 100%. And Harry gets like Ron uses some language which maybe he shouldn't use which if you keep groping her at every chance you get but you deserve this bollocking (laughs) at the end of the day like yeah yeah Ron actually does back off when Harry says okay then like this is quite a mature fight from the two of them like they're angry they sort it out they're done (laughs) Ginny and Harry are then just stuck in the same house for the rest of the time so that's fun for all of them uh Charlie arrives and we don't get a single line off him in this book it's just Charlie no lines rip Oh no, there is one when he talks to Hagrid, but it's not enough. I want more Charlie time. So then it's dinner time and there's like purple lanterns all emblazed with the number 17. Hermione is making streamers appear around the garden, turning a crabapple tree gold. And Ron goes, nice. You've really got an eye for that sort of thing. Yeah. Him with the compliments. He, you know, I think think his book has good advice. He's actually like very charming in these like few chapters he's been funny he's been emotionally uh comforting hermione he's been complimenting hermione like mm-hmm. damn well done ron it's all gonna come crashing down miss sweezy brings a giant cake out which is a giant snitch which is really cool i'm really confused please explain this line to me harry says that looks amazing mrs weasley oh it's nothing dear she said fondly over her shoulder Ron gave Harry the thumbs up and mouthed, good one. Because he's learnt compliments. Right. Okay. Because I couldn't tell whether it was 
good one as in good cake or good one you've complimented and flirted with a woman my mother you can't have my sister so well done on flirting with my mother yeah i mean it didn't necessarily say it has charm romantic, no but also you know maybe harry just really likes redheads and maybe he thinks it's pokemon and he's got to catch them all gotta catch them maybe all. he loves a milf um lupin tonks arrive lupin is sad tonks is happy wow i wonder why <laughs> hagrid arrives he's reminiscing about like oh, what, no, hagrid arrives you. and he's like by the way i bought you these basilisk fangs because uh, Hermione mentioned. <laughs> no, but what he does bring him is, is something that is set up in the books to be more useful than it is and raises a question. He brings him a moleskin bag. No one but the owner can get <coughs> anything you put in out of it. And later in the chapter, Harry puts all his important things inside of it. This makes it seem like there's going to be a chapter where someone tries to get in his moleskin bag and they don't. But also, if you have this, and this is Neil's point, not mine, because he ranted it to me when he was reading the book next to me. If you have a special little moleskin pouch that can fit around your neck, why don't you put the locket in the special little moleskin pouch? Yes, very true. Because the fake locket fits inside, so why not put the real locket inside? Hagrid always gives Harry really fucking useful gifts. I know. Doesn't he? Did I imagine that at some point he gives him a knife that can cut through anything? That's serious. Serious. He does give him a flute. Yeah. I know. But that's what I mean. This is set up to be useful at some point. I feel like it got cut out. Like, it's really focused on then. It's like... Does he still have it in the basement at the Malfoy Manor? Yeah, he starts pulling stuff out of it. But it's set up in the way that because no one else can get into it, someone else tries to get into it, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to say more about, like, this idea of Hagrid just bringing Basilisk fans. Because one, I feel like if they asked, he'd probably just have some lying about. Don't ask how, but he would. If someone was going to have some lying about... Oh, it would be him. You may as well ask. Yeah. Two, have we considered... Because, yeah, the whole... Like, speaking parcel tongue snake language is an issue. But could you not just get an actual snake and just, like, hold it there and hope that at some point it happens to say open or, like, let me in or something? Because I feel like just draw a little door and show the snake the door on the sink and, you know. Mr. Weasley arrives with the Minister for Magic in tow. Um, and the Minister of Magic is like, can I have a word with you, Ron Hermione? And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on here? So they go into the lounge and Scrimger is like, I'm going to question you separately. I love this so much because they're basically just like, no, you're not. No, you're not. All of us together or not at all. And what I love about it. Because you know that Scrimger, like, he has no fucking leverage here. Nope. None. None whatsoever. And he fully was just like thinking he was going to ride in on yep. his like authority being older being the minister for magic and they're just like nope nope and the most bolshy with him is hermione <laughs> who loves authority and she's like why have you kept that will why have you done that you had no right to do that i'm like yep. dude you were the person who couldn't stand up to a teacher like go you i love I, it i do slightly feel bad for scrimger oh yeah just in that Yes, he has done some things wrong, but most of their kind of beef with the government, he's inherited. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of it is not actually his fault. It was fudge, and he's just then kind of getting the blame. And yeah, he has done some things wrong, 
but it feels and I guess like I mean it's kind of because of how broken the political system is and mm. that they don't have parties it's just the next guy mm. at least if they'd like switch political party then it's kind of a bit more of like a fresh start in terms yeah. of the relationships but it is just like you're the next guy and you're gonna get blamed for what the last guy did yeah I'll I'll say it when I get to the line but like there's a line Scrimger says to Harry which I'm kind of like yeah I understand why he said that because mm. these three are being really bolshy with him for him not actually following code they're like you shouldn't have held Dumbledore's stuff it's like yeah he kind of should have like it's kind of within his right to like yeah. yeah so basically he's they've read Dumbledore's will and he has bequeathed these three items and he gave very very few personal items away so scrimger is obviously highly suspicious that especially ron hermione have been left items so wants to like observe this ron does not cotton on to this quick enough and is like no i was really close to dumbledore and turns and harry what are you doing so they have to answer questions on like why they were remembered in the will but again this is entirely pointless because you can't stop the will being read and the items given over he's just wants to know what's going on like at the end of the day he wants to know what's going on because he wants to know what dumbledore had planned so the government can help defeat voldemort Everything Scrimger is doing is to try to defeat Voldemort. He's just going about it in such a different way to the trio. Like, yeah, he's not trying to do this because he wants them to not get the stuff. He's trying to do this to go, hey, what was Dumbledore's plan? Let me in on it. Let me help. I mean, yes. But then I think that, like, skipping ahead a bit, it's ridiculous that he won't give them the sword. That is ridiculous. Because well... his theory is, is that he thinks that the sword can kill Voldemort. And it's like, okay. So give it to the boy that you also think is like prophesized to kill Voldemort. Like, why is he like, ah, so you, you're prophesized to kill him. So that's why Dumbledore wanted to give you the sword because only the sword can kill him. So I'm not going to give you the sword. Whose side are you on? Give the boy the sword. Like, I know, I know. It and he's like, no it wasn't sense. Dumbledore's to give away. I'm like, yeah, fair. But does it really matter at this stage? Harry can't destroy it. It's goblin made. So just lend it to him it's for a like, bit the most pure fucking cratic thing ever just like it wasn't his to give away yeah but let's say in theory it's the only way to kill Voldemort yeah but it wasn't his to give away it's very like the um I always forget what they're called like the Vogons from oh you've not read or you need to either read or watch Hitchhiker's Guide it's brilliant I think my best ever tweet because there's this entire I'm gonna have to read you it now hang on <laughs> the entire book no Sorry, I'm trying to find the... So it's basically this species in Hitchhiker's Guide called the Vogons that are like, just bureaucracy is their entire thing. And mm. this is the quote. They're one of the most unpleasant races in the galaxy. Not actually evil, but bad-tempered, bureaucratic, officious and callous. They wouldn't even lift a finger to save their own grandmothers from the ravenous bug blatter beast of trial without an order, signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, queried, lost, found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again and finally buried in soft peat for three months and recycled as firelighters. If you want to get a lift from a Vogon, forget it. They're vile and ill-tempered. If you want to get a drink from a Vogon, stick your finger down his throat. If you want to annoy a Vogon, feed his grandmother to the ravenous bug bladder beast of trial anyway yeah my best tweet ever was in university student loans basically they'd already had my dad's like uh like like tax summary of what he earned had that 
had I'd had several student loans installment. They then lost it. It's like how you have had this. It's surely in the system. How do you suddenly lose it? And we sent it in multiple times and they then stopped paying me my student loan so I literally didn't have any money and we sent it in over and over and over and over and and they just were like we lost it every single time so I like tweeted that summary and was like basically said that it was student loans because like that is the student loan company they're just yeah but yeah I can't even remember where this started I'm assuming that I was saying that, yeah, because the whole like not giving the sword. I'm also right now reading a book series that like has a similar culture. I'm reading that. I always forget what the actual series is called, but it's Brandon Sanderson, the one that's like the way of kings or whatever. They have like an entire like, nation mm. that their entire thing is like paperwork and bureaucracy yeah. and they're like really organized and stuff and it's like done in this really like comical way and like people tease them and i'm like this sounds like heaven to me <laughs> because they're just all like literally have like a written down scenario for everything like if they need to tax something but it's a really like complicated like scenario blah 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 they have it written down and i'm like this literally sounds like organizational heaven but yeah this is kind of what the ministry of magic seem to be doing here of just like but it, it wasn't his to give away. And it's like, but you think that it's the only way to kill Voldemort. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Painful. Painful. So he starts like giving out the information. And the first thing is to Ronald Billius Weasley is the deluminator in the hope that he will remember we when he uses it. I was trying to interpret the words he said, because obviously he knew this was going to be read, read out by the government, what each one meant. And like, this one doesn't really make any sense. Is it about like finding your way to your chosen home? Because Dumbledore once said like, there will always be, I'll always be at Hogwarts. If, you know, like I was trying to work out what in the hope that he will remember me when he uses it, but it's probably just nonsense because he couldn't write anything specific. Ron gets given the Deluminator, which by the way is a really cool blend of magic and muggle tech. Like there's a spell to turn out light, but Dumbledore put it in a thing so you can press a button and it holds it like that's cool thank you yeah ron has no idea why it was given to him at all then he moves on to hermione who is given the tales of beetle the bard really really thought till i read this it was tales of beetle and the bard as in the tales are of beetle and the bard even though when i know i know what a bard is so it was a bit of a shock to realize it's tales of beetle the bard i'm stupid scrimger asks hermione he's like did you ever discuss like sending secret codes blah 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 with Dumbledore and it's like is this she was gonna go yeah 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 all the time it's like when the US immigration form asks you have you done any terrorism it's like <laughs> yeah actually yeah loads plotted some last week actually. all the time all actually. the time I do the terrorism right now no um and Hermione's really sassy she's like if the ministry hasn't found any I doubt I will did well and then to Harry he has left the snitch he caught in his first ever quidditch game and um scrimger's like i noticed your birthday cake is in the shape of a snitch like come on mate you're really grasping at straws yeah. here aren't and you and i love the i think it's mine you just sasses him like yeah because it couldn't possibly be because he's a really good seeker but scrimger reveals that snitches have flesh memories which i'm fine with okay i'm fine that this exists and i'm fine with the reason for existing which yeah. is in they need to work out who caught the snitch first 
Where I'm fine with this existing is in Quidditch League and World Cup. Where I'm not fine with this existing is Hogwarts are not using a different ball for every major game. It's a school. Come on. They're reusing snitches, surely. I don't know, because there's only one school, like, in the country. And I guess maybe, like, a, a snitch is a snitch. Like, they're all from the same manufacturer. Like, it's not... You know? I guess then they can then use all the snitches in practice. Like, those snitches will get used throughout the year. I'm yeah. just like, you know, like, having gone to a school, you you don't get the same level of stuff that, you know, the league teams are using. Yeah, I don't know. I can kind of buy it just because there is I mean, how many school. games do they actually have a year? It's not many. All four teams play each other. So that's, that's really simple maths that we should be able to do. Neil would be able to do Wait, it. Wait, if Gryffindor play three games... And all four teams play three games. That's 12 games, right? It's quite embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. Six, nine, 12. It's 12 games. It's got to be 12 games. Cool. Um, so yeah, I guess that's only 12 snitches a year. Yeah. Okay. So... Oh, no, no, no. It's it's only... Is it only 12 games? Because they get to the... Oh no, because it's not scored like that. It's not scored like that. Yeah. For a second, I was thinking about if it was... Yeah. So Scrimge was like, this snitch is going to remember you and puts the snitch in Harry's hand. Harry's like, oh my God, how do I not take it? How do I not take it? Has to take it. I just... He should have just been like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, because even if Scrimge is like, really? What's he going to do? Like, take it and go... Well, we you know, know it only works on the specific type of the body. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Okay. <coughs> so it doesn't do the message for his hand but it does for his lips which implies that the way to get around it would be to do it with your left or right hand if it's actually remembering specific parts of your body yeah not just your dna in general i i don't know i've always kind of interpreted that it is just generic touch but that this is like an extra bit of magic that Dumbledore's done to make it be like specifically his mouth. Thing Which is- implies that Dumbledore well no i guess he got the mouth stuff from the snitch but bleh. yeah I just, it is, he just basically kisses it in the end, isn't it? Yeah. And it shows, because I just really feel like he should have fully had to put it in his mouth. And also, not only do I think it should be like that, but if I was Harry, my instinct wouldn't be like, if I put it together, the whole like mouth thing, wouldn't be to get, I'd just go, like, there's no way my thought would be, ah, just kiss it, see that. And especially because the thing is, right, he caught it. He caught it in his mouth. Now, like, let's say this is the snitch. It's not like he, this is how it went down when he caught it. It's not like, a, like someone's going to edit that really badly. It's not like he would have been like, like, you know, it's not, it would have surely touched the inside of his, it's not that it's hit his lips and like, it's surely that he was like, this like, raises more questions than it answers. So as you say, Scrimge is then like, no, no, there was another bequest. It's the sword of Gryffindor. And we get a little reminder that will help us at the end of the book, which is according to reliable historical sources, the sword may present itself to any worthy Gryffindor which obviously is important later, especially because like when the sword pre- first presented itself, we were told it had been lost for hundreds of years. So it's kind of important to know that it doesn't have to be lost to do the appearing thing. It yeah. can do it at any point. Yay. Um, so Dumbledore, Dumbledore, he's dead. Scrimger and Harry start having a go at each other. Kind of Scrimger's <laughs> like, mm, this is my theory. And Harry's like, interesting. People are dying all the time and you're a dick. But he burns a mark in harry's t-shirt he's so angry and then says you may wear that scar like a crown potter which is where i'm kind of like 
Yeah, I understand a little bit of where he's coming from because Harry does wear this crown of superiority of being like, I don't like your methods. Okay, but at the end of the day, Scrimger is also trying to help defeat Voldemort and has every resource available to him. And Harry, he probably sees Harry as really naive and righteous being like, it's my way is the only way that's right. Whereas like, yes, Harry, it's what makes Harry a like, his inherently good person to not like the ministry's methods but i think there are ways he can work with scrimger a little bit more to use the resources to his advantage yeah rather than pissing him off then he says it's time you learn some respect and harry says it's time you earned it boom boom mick drop love it so fucking good like classic sassy harry love it love it mr and mrs weasley run in and Scrimger, Scrimger leaves in a huff. God, talk. They go back to Harry's birthday dinner. And it's really rushed because there isn't much time. So later up in their bedroom, they're all looking at what they've been given. And Hermione comes and sneaks up to talk to them. So they're kind of turning the objects over. And then Harry's like, well, I wasn't going to try too hard in front of Scrimger. I'm like, bitch, you only work that out afterwards. Don't lie. Like... When yeah. Scrimger was trying to give you the snitch, you were like, how do I not take it in my hand? And as you said, he kisses the snitch and the snitch comes up with the line, I open at the close. Very helpful, Dumbledore. Thank you. It like, Thank whilst, you. whilst I get that it's not like he could be like, I open when you're about to cough it, love. Like, it, Stop being so did it cryptic. have to be that at the close? At the close. At the close. At the end. I yeah. open at the end would have been better. Not yeah. I open at the close. Like, and I get because it's open and close. No, I'm sorry. Right, like a human being. I open at the end. It's Dumbledore being Dumbledore. Like Ron is kind of right when he says maybe Dumbledore cracked it. I always said that. I'm like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he like, did. He did make things like unnecessarily like cryptic. Yeah. And it he... He really was in like full NPC mode when you're playing Skyrim and they said you're on a fucking quest. Like, no, just be like, go here, do this, blah, blah, blah. Now is not the time for cryptic messages, Dumbledore. No, it is not. Hermione's like, what does this book mean? The tales of Beale the Bard? <coughs> and Hermione and Harry are both confused and Ron's like, what do you mean? Yeah. And we learn that it's fairy tales, uh, which is really cute because we have this, Harry looked up diverted. The circumstance of Ron having read a book that Hermione had not was unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what got me thinking about like JK Rowling and not really taking a huge mm. amount of like fairy tale, fairy tale stuff in terms of like the average fantasy book because it's it's very interesting the choice to have wizards have their own fairy tales yeah. i really like it actually and I do. like the thing is i am a s- absolute sucker for like any kind of fairy tale adaption including like fairy tale mythology shit and stuff that that's my crack that's what i love but i think it's like really interesting and different to be like actually like none of that is based in anything real to the point where the wizards actually have their own yeah fairy tales and maybe or maybe even because some of it is real that's not a fairy tale to them that's a history lesson um but well, that's yeah thing, like it's quite interesting yeah. for them to have this and i kind of yeah, I, I think that I choose to believe that it's just that none of the fairy tale stu- stuff is true for them in the same way that they, like, have Christmas. So surely if, like, all, like, mythology, folklore, fairy tale, like, pagan shit mm. was real, like, they would celebrate Christmas as whatever it was called, beginning with S. The, no, it was... 
something else. Okay. There is, it is also called solstice, but that wasn't the one I was thinking. Because okay. we've always questioned why the fuck they celebrate Christmas. But yeah. maybe it is literally like that, that stuff isn't real to them. So Christmas is kind of like a muggle fairy tale to them. Yeah, that they find cutesy. Yeah, exactly. That's like actually big enough to make its way into the culture, whereas things like Cinderella isn't. But yeah, it's quite interesting because it's such a done fairy tale thing to have it go off regular fairy tales. So the fact that she's made this like choice to be like, they have their own fairy tales. I, I, It's quite refreshing. Yeah, I think so. And I especially love that, A, these fairy tales... She hasn't made it like, what, what's she called? Beadle wrote these fairy tales. Ron is like, they say that Beadle is the origin of these fairy tales. Like kind of like how we talk about some fairy tales being from the same origin. Ron is the same. He's like, they say she came up with all that stuff. Like wizards don't actually know the history. It's written in runes. It's not written in English. So only like, like this is limited knowledge to a lot of people. And we learn later in the book that Ron also knows slightly different versions because fairy tales have been translated and passed down verbally for so long mm. and what i also really like in with this book specifically is we criticize jkr a lot for not doing enough of the background like work and research but i do like that when this book was released she then immediately had written down all five of the tales of beetle and the bard like so that she could draw on that which like good well done like that was cool and it was cool to have immediately after this book came yeah. out to have that so yeah that's really cool um, and I like that, yeah, like Ron hasn't even heard of Cinderella. He's like, what's that? An illness? Like, it's, I don't, yeah, it's really fun. So yeah, they discuss that and then they hear a creak on the stairs and it's, they think it's Charlie going to regrow his hair. So Hermione, Hermione leaves and they go to bed. And then my last note was, again, Ron's humour throughout these two chapters, especially because it came up so much. I think it really juxtaposes his bad mood later in the book. Yes. Like it's kind of put in there. So we really see that change in character. Yeah, there's really like, you can just growl for Ron. <laughs> He's like, wee. <laughs> yeah. And that's, we have a question. Oh my God, we do. Oh, I forgot about this. Right. Are we ready? Yes. Are we steady? Yes. Good, because I'm clearly not. Okay. So my first question, oh God, there's more than one. And a very long, long explanation. I'm going to read this whole explanation. I might edit some of it out. I'm a German history student and I'm currently preparing for my master thesis on the commune resistance during the Nazi times. This is relevant to this episode. I noticed that you often compare Voldemort stuff to the Nazi times. Yes, we do. And sometimes it really fits and sometimes doesn't just because the reality is just so complex. Anyway, when listening to your podcast, I started to think about the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore's army as resistance groups and how they would compare to resistance groups in Nazi Germany as I'm currently reading up on them. There are a variety of groups and also people who resist on their own. You can't really generalize, but most groups actually only formed after the war had gone on for a while and they were actually losing privileges, were in fear of losing privileges after the war would inevitably be lost. One prominent example would be a group around Stauffenberg, which most non-Germans know because of the Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie. Stauffenberg was a Nazi supporter for a long time until he became part of his resistance group in the, in the late 1943. Also, if you read up on the group's plans for after they had killed Hitler, it was definitely not surrendering and turning Germany into a democracy. The communist resistance, on the other hand, did start their resistance immediately after, even before Hitler was in power. These groups truly were anti-fascist and not only anti-war or motivated by losing their privileges, but were very much opposed to Nazi ideology from the beginning, very beginning. Of course, they were also immediately persecuted by the Nazis after they came into power. And of course, there was a broad spectrum of groups and people that were in between the views 
of communist resistance groups and people like Stauffenberg. And I don't want to downplay what Stauffenberg and his fellows did. And I don't know if I would have been able to do it. And obviously the historic reality is really complex and I sum this up a lot. Anyway, where would you place the order and the DA on the spectrum between truly anti-fascist and only resisting because you lost some of your privileges? And are there any characters that you would like to place on that spectrum individually in the order DA or not? Then they've written their thoughts, but should we do ours first? Yes, let's do ours first. Uh, first of all, don't feel remotely qualified to answer this. For your incredible amount of yeah. research and knowledge that you have. So I think for me, I have to say that I don't think that they are particularly anti-fascist. And I think that the evidence we have for this is in the fact we've talked about it before. Nothing really changes yeah, the actual in society. Change. Like the, you know, they basically are like, hey, don't do X, Y, Z but also all of the structural things that created Voldemort yeah. and his beliefs still they're fine with and stay in place. You know, they it's not like they fully overthrow the ministry and completely remake society after. They're basically like, we don't want you to, you know, literally be murdering muggles, but also we can still like mistreat muggles. We can still have slaves. We can still do yeah. all of these things that are benefiting us we just like draw the line here. So I don't think that they are particularly anti-fascist at all. Yeah, I think the DA probably, probably falls more anti-fascist than the order simply by the nature of the fact that they are school children and therefore have kind of like lofty aims of like resisting like, I don't know, the regime of their school. So if you view it as like a microcosm of the school, they have you know aims of tearing down that educational system and then but yeah I think the order yeah while not just they're not doing it just for the reason that they're losing their privileges at the end of the day like a lot of them inherently have a lot of privilege in the <coughs> system anyway and wouldn't be affected by this so they're not like at the Stauffenberg level where it's only because they're losing their privileges but you're right they're not trying to do any societal changes I think the one ex one of the exceptions we have in the group of characters is Hermione especially book four book five she is a lot more like anti-fascist wanting to change the establishment kind of thing even though she goes about it in some wrong ways which is not taking into account the actual like views and emotions of the group she's kind of trying to stand for she a lot more sees the wider picture of group pers persecution yeah i'm not entirely sure about hermione because i do think that some of her politics kind of fall a bit into i guess like white feminism and, yeah. and she also later on becomes influential but again we don't see that she actually does change anything mm. like it's just a bit like, oh, she's working on the house house stuff. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, like, yeah, she's kind of anti-fresh in that book four, book five, but as I said, goes about it in the wrong way in a kind of white feminism superiority way. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think through, like, other characters. Mm. I think we don't see enough of him to, like, fully say, but if I were to headcanon it, I would headcanon probably Mad Eye as being the most anti-fascist because I can see him as being like actually an out of the box, fuck the system yeah. thinker. Yeah. I can either see him like properly being very anti-fascist or being like disgustingly libertarian. Yeah. 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 I think like the thing is it's, 
it's almost a shame like that the order didn't carry on existing after the first wizarding war ended because like yes what we see of the order is only focused on the immediate threat of fighting Voldemort of course they're not talking about what they're going to do with the system once the system falls because the immediate threat is stop Voldemort killing people but then yeah it's kind of mad that it was disbanded you know completely after the first wizarding war and between the first and the second because like yeah you got other issues to sort out otherwise you're gonna have a rise in fascism again like yeah there is yes it's voldemort coming back into power but one of the reasons he was able to come so quickly back into power is because you left all the structures in place for that fascism to rise again exactly so their answer was i'm thinking that while the order da probably were probably were probably anti-fascist they didn't really work on challenging anything about the system of oppression they were living in for example the giants the goblins the house elves so i already probably put them towards the center but more on the side of the communists but i would love to hear your take also any historians listening please don't come for me i know i simplified stuff in my explanation and i hope that this makes sense outside of my nerdy history brain i could record a podcast just about comparing nazi nazi germany to harry potter and that would probably take a lot of preparation Second question, different vibe. I know you're Swifties, as am I. I'm wondering what you, you two think about the song London Boy. Do you love it? <laughs> Do you find it annoying? Is Hannah singing it to communicate to Neil that it's sexy time while Charlie's cringing in the background? These questions are from Lisanne. Thank you, Lisanne. London Boy is spectacular. It's a fucking masterpiece. It's so fucking bad. It's so and bad. And cringe. And I love it. Yeah, I do not hate it as much as a lot of Swifties. I have a soft spot for its ridiculous cringiness. Yeah. Um, it would probably rank in my bottom like 30 Taylor Swift songs, but that's just because the ranking is tough but like i don't despise it bottom five what i will despise is if i end up at the london show where she sings london boy because i only get two switch yeah. songs and i do not want london like, boy unless we get a bonus bonus yeah unless it's unless like all of the london shows get london boy as a bonus yeah but i don't I, yeah. don't I am not singing it to neil to indicate sexy times that would be weird um i yeah for me i kind of really i don't know where i would rank it but for me it gets if it was just like that song on its own i would rate that way lower than the fact that the lyrics make it so fucking funny and also my comedy the peak comedy of people like tracking how long it actually would take to get between all the places is one of my favorite no it yeah no excellent song so funny especially as a londoner getting to listen to it really funny like when anti-Swifties try and throw it in your face and it's like, no, we know we that's know. bad. We're in on the joke. <laughs> like you're not breaking any news to us that London Boy is a bad song. And funnily enough, in a woman with a discography of nearly 300 songs, she's gonna have a bad one here and there. Anyway, thank you for those questions, Lisette. They were wonderful. I love really the good. two different tones. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you for listening to this episode. I need a wee so badly. Go piss, girl. No, we have to record an outro. Oh, God, we need a funny bit. Bye! Bye! Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. If you want to follow us around the internet, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok under Goblet of Wine Podcast. Or if you'd like to support us further, you can find us on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and loads more perks. Thank you so much to our Hufflepuff tier patrons for helping us produce these episodes. Yolanda... Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Michael, Kylie, Jasmine, Florian, 
and ardent. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And as always, fuck JK Rowling and the Turfs. Bye! Bye.